So then a disciple maker is one who is obedient to Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all people. So there is a uh, component of obedience to Jesus and then joyfully following Jesus and replicating what Jesus has shown us in the life that he modeled for us. So there's obedience, there's profession of faith, and there's multiplication. The 2023 Transforming Churches Network Discipleship Conference is where you'll be able to learn how to start a disciple-making movement in your church and community. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. So glad, friend, that you have time to stop by and join us on today's show as we welcome Dr. Terry Tiemann, pastor at Grace Celebration Lutheran Church in Cordova. Terry, God bless you, my brother. Thank you so much for coming by today. Thank you. It's great to be here. You've been pastoring there at Grace Celebration Lutheran Church since 2018, I believe. That is correct. I noticed you began your ministry in Michigan and then Arkansas via I-57 South. It's 13 hours and 28 minutes or 911 miles of road between the two. So how did you start in Michigan and wind up in Arkansas? Well, you see, I was always interested in cross-cultural ministry. (laughs) (laughs) So you came to Arkansas. (laughs) Right, right. No, it's, it's just the way things work in our denomination. You are called to serve a local congregation. And so we started right out of seminary in Upper Michigan. I actually had a triple parish up there, which I'm still not sure if that was a reward or a punishment for how well I did at seminary, but uh, wonderful people up there. But after three years, uh, we kind of wanted to get a little further south. I grew up in Missouri. And also they had a Lutheran school in Fort Smith and our oldest son was about to start first grade So that was a big reason why. Well, my great-grandmother was a telephone operator in Fort Smith, Arkansas. That's how my grandfather started a relationship with the long-distance operator. They became his wife. (laughs) So so I have some ties to Fort Smith myself. It's a a great place. We really enjoyed it there. Terry, the roots of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod trace back to 1847 when Saxon and other German immigrants established a new church body in America, seeking, of course, the freedom to practice and follow confessional Lutheranism. What are some other facts that our listeners may not be aware of? Well, uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is a very conservative Bible-based denomination. And uh, I don't know what people know about Lutheranism in general, but uh, that's really what sets us apart is uh, we believe in the inerrancy uh, and inspiration of, of scriptures uh, and we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Didn't somebody named Martin Luther establish that he, thought many years ago? Absolutely. <laughs> he, he was all about that. And of course, we continue that uh, in that tradition today. And so we have um, about 6,000 congregations all over the United States with about 2 million uh, members. But it's a, it's a worldwide denomination. Uh, I don't know how many countries, but uh, dozens and dozens of countries uh, around the world. And uh, we continue to proclaim the, the good news of Jesus Christ in, in every community. That's what we're all about. What does your journey to a saving relationship personally look like? What were the circumstances prior to your conversion, and what did that look like? Okay, well, I was baptized when I was probably two weeks old. I have a twin brother. 
And uh, so we had to spend just a little extra time in the hospital because uh, we were a little bit undersized. And as soon as we got home, uh, <laughs> my parents made sure that uh, they brought us to Zion Lutheran Church in Blackburn, Missouri. And uh, we were baptized. And ever since that day, the Holy Spirit's lived inside my heart and I uh, have believed in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I knew from an early age already, I think when I was in seventh grade, that I wanted to be a pastor. I uh, felt the call uh, at that time. And so uh, my path has, has been to pursue uh, that goal. And so I went to a Lutheran high school in Concordia, Missouri, got my uh, teaching degree uh, in uh, Concordia, Seward, Nebraska, and then went to seminary in St. Louis and have been a parish pastor uh, as well as a denominational uh, exec. And yeah. now back in the parish and along the way started uh, this organization called Transforming Churches Network. And that's really who's sponsoring this conference that uh, we're going to be talking about. And so we help churches all over the United States and Canada uh, revitalize their mission and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are especially focusing on how to be effective disciple makers who make disciple makers. Yeah, and that's what I'm really excited to unfold in our half hour time together yeah, to learn yeah. more about. But first, we got to get to an important thing, and that's Becky. Where and how did you meet Becky, your wife? Well, that, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. And you know what? We met in high school. So her dad is a Lutheran pastor. She grew up in Iowa. And so we have this very unique school called St. Paul's Lutheran High School in Concordia, Missouri. And people from all over the country go to that school. And by the way, can we stop there a second? Sure. Former Shelby County Commissioner Heidi Schaefer Went to school with you in that high school, right? She actually went to school with my younger brother. She's just a little younger. Right. She'll appreciate me saying yeah. this. Uh, she's a little younger than me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I know Heidi very well, and uh, just a, a great, great person, person who has a great faith, too. Now, as you mentioned, in 2009, you became the executive director of Transforming Churches Network, which, as you stated, helps churches become more effective in reaching their communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Talk about some of the backstory to this. Yeah. I know there was some research that went on about effective mission movements, pilot projects that really you studied around the world as this project was developed. That's exactly right. Back in those days, I was working for the Mid-South District of the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate as their director of missions. And we were noticing more and more that so many of the new churches we started and, and I was responsible for planting new churches in Arkansas, Tennessee, and Southwest Kentucky. So many of those churches would plateau uh, at about 100 uh, in worship. And we're like, why, why is that? Now, part of it was because they were in small towns. But uh, what we found out when we did the research was that a daughter church will almost always look exactly like the mother church that started it. And so what we were finding is that there wasn't always a, a real strong missional DNA uh, in these churches. Right. And so if you have a declining uh, church that uh, isn't real strong on uh, getting out into the community, well, then, you know, even if they plant a new church, that church is going to be uh, pretty similar. Right. And so we started a revitalization process 
where we would go into existing churches and strengthen their mission, help them to get refocused on making disciples, because that's really what Jesus told us to do, right? right. And uh, so, th- so that's uh, how we came up with a new process in revitalization. Over time, more and more churches got involved in that. Our denomination got involved in it. And so they wanted me to help them uh, with that process. And it, it got to be so, uh, there, there was so much to do. I couldn't do it in the district and on a national level. So we started a nonprofit parachurch organization called Transforming Churches Network. That's how this whole thing <laughs> got going. It reminds me of that Christian campfire song. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. It sounds like this is starting to take spark and ignite through the Lutheran churches. Hopefully it'll spread into some other denominations as well. Now, when you talk about the research that you did, finding effective mission movements and these pilot projects around the world you looked at, what were some of the more surprising things that were pulled out of that research, some of the positive things that you thought, hey, this is really good? Um, well, one of the things that, that came out of it was it's not dependent on how much money you spend. So it's almost an inverse correlation between how much money you spend and, and how effective you are in making disciples. So hiring staff, having buildings, uh, expensive programs uh, are not going to result in more disciples being made. It, it's really— Terry, I'm so glad you're saying that because it seems like the church has kind of gotten a blurry focus from that and programs and some of these things there's nothing wrong with. Oh, exactly. In perspective, let's build a new gym, all these things, but we're not staying on mission. Exactly. And and so th- that was one of the big, big findings. Uh, another was that it's really important to equip new believers to immediately share the gospel. That's another thing I think that's happened just over centuries is uh, we're, we're afraid to let new converts loose with the gospel because they might mess it up. They might not say it all exactly right. So we have to send them to Bible college. They have to be a member of a church for decades. They have to uh, maybe go to seminary and all of these things. And our research shows the, the more quickly you can get people mobilized to share the gospel, because, see, they know all the, 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 the lost and unchurched people already. That's who they've been hanging around with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if they will go immediately and simply share the message, and it can be very, very simple, whatever it is they know about Jesus. And, of course, we have a process now where we train them step by step. Here's, here's what you yeah. do. But the research showed uh, whatever they know about Jesus will have a big impact. So that was another really big finding. And then maybe a third one would be to, to pray for the lost by name. It makes a huge difference. So you can start, we call it our 10 most wanted list. Start listing your family and friends and, and people that are important to you that you want to see come closer to Jesus and be part of his kingdom. Start praying for them by name. And it's amazing how uh, God makes provision for you to uh, just kind of bump into them and uh, all of a sudden yeah. have a situation yeah. where you can yeah. share yeah. the gospel. Yeah. So those are just uh, you know a few things that oh, we learned. So insightful. You would discover that and say, guys, this is where we've got to at least start. I love that. When you use, Terry, the term disciple making, right. what exactly are you talking about? Okay, that's a great question. Let me just start with disciple. Uh, of course, the, the simple definition of a disciple is a follower, right? And of course, we're talking about 
Jesus followers. So they have to be a follower of Jesus. So a disciple has to be someone who has made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So then a disciple maker is one who is obedient to Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all people. So there is a um, component of obedience to Jesus and then joyfully following Jesus and replicating what Jesus has shown us in the life that he modeled for us. So there's obedience, there's profession of faith, and there's multiplication uh, in the process. And, and it seems like if that is the key to disciple-making, the key for the church to be on mission biblically, okay, right. then why isn't the church making disciples? That is the million-dollar question. And, and I think there's probably several answers to that, but I think the, the greatest answer is fear. People are afraid that they'll be rejected by their friends or their neighbors. Uh, people will say no. Uh, maybe they'll hurt somebody's feelings. And so they, they simply don't share the message. I think that's probably the biggest reason. Maybe some uh, more ancillary reasons would be some of the things we've talked about already, uh, particularly... Uh, members of the church think that, well, I, I don't have enough training. Uh, it's the pastor's job. I don't have the gift of evangelism. And, you know, so there's a litany of excuses. But uh, I think the, the biggest reason is, is simple fear. And really, we're talking about a relationship because we're talking about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by faith of what he did on the cross for us. And we're talking about, as you mentioned, our family, friends, coworkers, our neighbors, those are all about relationships, too. You know, we become such a secluded society. You know, we all just go through our jobs. We have to stop at the store. We want to get we have to get get back home, you know, and then veg out on TV, go to bed and get up and start it all over again. But there's really more to life than that. Isn't there, Terry, a joy that can really come alive in us as Christ's disciples and followers when we do step into this disciple-making? Uh, absolutely. And the greatest joy that I've ever experienced in my life is seeing another person come to Christ. Uh, I had the opportunity some years ago to go on a mission trip to Tanzania, and by God's grace and power, we saw thousands of people come to Christ, and we were able to baptize them on the spot. And I mean, I, I get Holy Ghost bumps just <laughs> thinking about that. Uh, or just recently, I baptized my granddaughter. Uh, nothing, nothing greater than that, because I know she's going to spend eternity with Christ. And I mean, I, I, I get a little, <laughs> my lip <laughs> trembles a little bit just, just thinking about it. But yeah, what greater joy than to know that the people you love will be with you in eternity. And as you, as, as we prayed together earlier, you, you mentioned eternity starts now. We don't have to wait till we yes. go to heaven yes. to experience the joy of Christ's love right now. What Christ, you know, did for us, of course, forgiving our sins, he forgave us for the penalty of our sins. As you well know, Terry, as a pastor, the penalty of our sins is death, right. and it's eternal separation death in hell, a real place. Bible very specifically talks about it. We know we've been saved from that. You would think that could be part of the motivation, at least start to pray. Let that be maybe the starting point. I like what you said about finding the 10 list, I believe it was. The 10 most wanted list, yeah. yes. Well, well, it is really the motivation. Um, you know, Jesus or, or St. Paul, uh, you know, tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. 
uh, Jesus told us, you know, he gave us a great commission, go and make disciples. But I think a, a greater motivation even than that for making disciples is it's simply an outflow of who we are. If we're new people in Christ and we're his ambassadors, how can we really not? It's kind of like our thank you gift back to him. Yeah, yeah. Because there's nothing we can do or earn or deserve this salvation. I like to look at it as a gospel done, not a gospel do. Because what he's done for us, all we have to do is say thank you. Romans talks about that living sacrifice, offering that to him as a thank offering to thank you, Lord, for what yes. you did. This expression of my thanks, I want to share what you've done for me with my Uncle Billy or my coworker or whoever we come in contact with, looking for those opportunities. I mean, you mentioned the word Holy Spirit, and I think it really is key is learning how to be sensitive to his leadership, because I think there's times where it's probably better to be quiet and not to say anything. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And we talk about something called uh, turtles on a post. Uh, and so if I were to ask you if you've ever seen a turtle on a post, uh, if you said yes, you'd be the first person I'd ever heard say that. Uh, but if you actually saw a turtle on a post, how did he get there? Somebody had to put it there, right? Yeah. So God is already at work. The Spirit's already at work based on what other people are doing, sowing seeds and so forth. So we don't have to force the issue. Yeah. We don't. I mean, there's nothing wrong with knocking on, on doors or, or making uh, public broadcasts. And I mean, obviously, we're on the radio, right? Yeah. Uh, th those things are great. But uh, if we just look for these turtles on a post, they're there all around us. God is teeing up opportunities for us. So, yeah, sometimes we should just be quiet and listen. Yeah. You know, what is God saying to us? Oh. Look around. Who's he pointing us to and what situations has he put us in? And then when the opportunity arises, be ready to share the hope that we have. Well, the transformation process is reported to have successfully changed hundreds of churches from the inside out. Are churches maybe at first a little reluctant to start the process, or are they coming to you and saying, please help me? It's both. Uh, in, in some situations, churches are desperate. Uh, maybe they're declining or even dying. And, but there's someone there that uh, doesn't want it to stay that way. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a, a, a leader uh, in the church. And they will approach us and say, hey, what can we do to turn things around? And, and a lot of times that's from a kind of a practical standpoint as well. If we don't start growing, if we don't get more butts in the pews, you know, we can't pay the bills and uh, we're going to have to close. Uh, but God can use that motivation as well. But, but then oftentimes, yes, it's people who, who are just passionate about wanting to see more people spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Yes. And, uh, of course, that's the best motivation. Oh, but, a, we get, but we get both, both sides. Exactly. Tell us more about this event planned for April 21st and 22nd in this conference. Where will it take place? Who's going to be involved and who should attend? I am so glad you asked me that. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be at Grace Celebration Lutheran Church, where I'm also the senior pastor, and that's uh, 8601 Trinity Road in Cordova. It's right next to the uh, library in the Burt Ferguson Park, so it's really easy to find. I played many racquetball games over there. <laughs> <laughs> they have a great racquetball court. They do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're great neighbors, too, by the way. It's going to be all day Friday on the 21st of April uh, from 830 to 5, and then on Saturday from 830 to noon. And we have some great 
world-class speakers coming in. One of them is a man by the name of Lee Wood, and Lee has just an exceptional story. Uh, I don't want to steal his thunder, but uh, he was uh, adopted at uh, a very early age. In fact, his his uh, birth, I think his birth mother died, and his birth father gave him up when he was something like three years old, and so he was in an orphanage uh, for years and uh, foster homes and so forth, and uh, ended up becoming uh, addicted to drugs, uh, really lived the hard scrabble life. And one of his co-workers, he worked uh, in construction, one of his co-workers gave him a Gideon's Bible. And uh, he, he had nothing to do with Jesus or, or the church, I mean, uh, Lee himself. And uh, he was about to overdose. Um, one night he was just so distraught. And he remembered that his co-worker, I wouldn't call him a friend because uh, uh, Lee was kind of anti-world <laughs> at that time. And uh, he read that Gideon's Bible and the Holy Spirit worked faith in his heart. And he has never been the same since. He's just been on fire for Christ. But he has started uh, an organization uh, called One Body Church in Tampa, Florida. It's a network of, uh, last I heard, over 100 uh, house churches. And so he's going to share his story and his process, what they do with One Body Church. So he'll be our main speaker on Friday. And then we have uh, uh, Pastor Greg Burse, uh, who is in Hot Springs, Arkansas, at Lake Point City Church, uh, which is affiliated with the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And uh, he is going to lead a session on healing prayer. It's going to be really powerful. In fact, you maybe should yeah. come. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have, he's going to teach uh, Friday afternoon, and then he is going to, we're going to conduct a, a healing service uh, at the end of the day on Friday. So that will pretty much complete uh, our program on Friday. And then on Saturday, uh, Pastor Burrs will continue. He's going to do a session on revival in America. So, you know, we've been hearing about what's going on at uh, Asbury, Kentucky. Well, there are some things happening in other parts uh, of the country, too, including Hot Springs. And we hope here in Memphis uh, as well. Wouldn't it be amazing well, if, be beautiful. if something started uh, as a result of this? And then I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, what we do with Transforming Churches Network and our discipleship process and we're going to close the, the morning on Saturday. My daughter-in-law, Emma Tiemann, is a worship leader at our church. And so she's going to talk about the relationship between discipleship and worship. Wow. And then we're going to close, close out with some worship, and, and that'll be our day. Oh, it sounds like a wonderful conference, Terry. So what about cost and what about registration? People can register through uh, our website, which is tcnprocess.com. Uh, or they can do it through the through the church, greatcelebration.org uh, uh, as well. Either way, and they can register um, all, online. It's all there. Okay, yeah, great. it's all right there. Well, you've authored several books, including Hinges, Opening Your Church's Doors to the Community, Catching Vision, Skill Builders, and People of Passion. Now, your most recent work has led to the development of Seasons of Discovery, a stepwise church transformation process. Now, tell us something about your thoughts behind creating this book. Uh, well, Hinges was our kind of our seminal book, and it was where all the research was done on how to turn around churches and how to revitalize them. And uh, so we, uh, through the research, and it was done by Missions International, and I got to give credit to Dwight Marable, my colleague with Missions International. He's over in Nashville, Tennessee. 
And so he, he did the research, and we discovered eight hinges, name of the book, right? Eight yeah. hinges that open the doors to your church, but not into your church, it's out of your church. So to get your people out of your church into the community, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples. So that's where we started. And then these, these other books, particularly in the process called Seasons of Discovery, is more of a systematic process to help churches over, say, a two-year period to actually revitalize and re-energize the mission of their church. Oh, wow. Well, we don't have much time, but I would like to go back to the principles that Jesus presented in the Gospels that constitute the basic job description, if you will, for making and multiplying disciples. Well, Jesus really had a process that I would say is counterintuitive to the way we do things in the modern church. (laughs) (laughs) I talked about programs and buildings and money and, uh, you know, Jesus really didn't use any of those things. It was all relationships. And so if you look at how Jesus spent his time, you know, during his public ministry, it was with various size groups of people. Started with three, kind of his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, right? And then there were 12 disciples. Then he sent out 70 as uh, the movement began to grow. And then there were 120 uh, in the upper room, 3,000 converts on Pentecost. But it was all relationships where he taught and he modeled. And then he expected those folks to go out and do exactly the same thing. And that's really... Our whole process is based on that model. Now, we have a booklet called The Discipleship Journey, which we've developed, has eight sessions, and it has the teachings of Jesus in it that people can easily follow for themselves. So you can do it one-on-one with someone that you're discipling. You can do it in a small group. You can teach your whole church if you want to. But those eight lessons pretty much cover all of the fundamentals of what it means to be a follower of Jesus but then you got to go do them yes. uh, immediately. Great word, Terry. Well, friends, again, the 2023 Transforming Churches Network Discipleship Conference, you're going to learn how to start making disciples in your church and helping to transform your community ultimately for Christ's glory and for His honor. Right, Terry? That's exactly why we do it. <laughs> we want more people to spend eternity in heaven and nothing to glorify God more than that. That's so true. Okay, give us that web address one more time so folks can register for the April 21st and 22nd conference. It's tcnprocess.com. All right. Terry, God bless you, my brother. Thank you so much. You have to come back, okay? I'd love to. But to bring updates and talk about this subject. I think it's very important that we keep it in forefront of our listeners right now. It's very good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.